a short announcement before we start the show. Applications for Future Film Incubator 2023 are now open. If you are a storyteller looking to get your project made and take your business or career to the next level, then I urge you to consider applying. Combining the latest technologies and commercial strategies, this unique program is built to empower you to take your project from concept to an IP driven business, which you'll then have the opportunity to present to financiers and commissioners who last year included Netflix, Film4, Ingenious, and Lego, to name just a few. This year, we are thrilled to be opening up the program to our global community. So wherever you are based in the world, if you have a vision, if you have a story to tell, you can apply to become part of the program. To find out more, just head over to futureoffilm.live where you'll see all the details. And importantly, the deadline is 31st of May, 2023. Also this year, we are thrilled that Dell Technologies are again supporting the program. And in celebration of this, and as part of their continued commitment to supporting creators, they are giving away one of their awesome 5470 workstations to one lucky winner. For details on how to enter this competition, just head over to futureoffilm.live. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome back to Future of Film Podcast. My name is Alex Stoltz. I'm founder of Future of Film, host of this show. And as regular listeners know, it's where we share insights and strategies from the pioneers, trailblazers and disruptors who are shaping the future of screen storytelling. And today's show is a conversation between two storytellers supreme on the art of world building. Dan Erickson is the creator and showrunner of, well, for me, one of the most compelling and remarkable TV shows to air in the last few years. It's Apple TV's Emmy award-winning Severance. And a bit more about Dan. He attended Tisch school in New York where he received a master's in dramatic writing and then moved to LA where he delivered food and worked in a string of office jobs all while conceiving and writing the original pilot for Severance. The script became the first pilot ever selected for the annual Bloodlist, which ultimately led to the creative partnership with Ben Stiller and his production company Red Hour Productions, Endeavour Content and Apple. And Atypically, you could say this led to Dan becoming showrunner, retaining huge levels of creative control and driving the production forward. And I guess you could say the rest is history. The show became an instant cult and critical smash, largely due to its powerful and original story world construction. And talking with Dan today is Diana Williams. Diana is CEO and co-founder of Kinetic Energy Entertainment and regular listeners of this show will be familiar with her work through the previous appearances on the podcast. Diana is an expert in developing IP and producing creative content for distribution across a range of storytelling media. She's an amazing story world builder in her own right and we were thrilled she was available to talk with Dan for this episode 
And as you might expect from two supremely gifted world builders, we get into the details of that story world design. What does it look like? What does that process entail? And what are the different paths it can take? And we also hear about Dan's journey, how he broke through, why Severance connected with so many people, and how managing the tonal consistency of a show is one of the most critical and demanding parts of his job. And what does it look like to become a showrunner with your first TV project? I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did listening to it. I was literally like a kid in the candy store. And for the record's sake, it was recorded at the end of 2022 as part of Future of Film Summit. So it's my pleasure to hand you over now to Dan Erickson and first Diana Williams. Hi, Dan. It's so nice to meet you. And I'm so happy that you're doing this uh, panel for us for Future of Film. Hi, Diana. It's so nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. So let's dive in. So when you were first starting out with this, it seems that it started off first as a play. And from what I've read all about you, and yes, I'm a stalker. And so Good. What first sparked that idea into the play and then becoming into television? Yeah, well, it was a it, it the the play has a lot of very similar DNA. It's not it's I wouldn't call it the the same an evolution of the same project necessarily. It was uh, the play was its own thing uh, in a way, but it it informed a lot of this. And and that was something that I wrote uh, in college. It was a play called Convention. And it was basically about like four people in an office who slowly it's like they're working and they they're they they sort of never stop working. And at one point, one of them starts to question. It's like, hey, when was the last time you left? And they all realize that they've never actually left the office. They've actually always been there. And so it's them then having this sort of existential struggle to find out who who are we? What are we doing here? Uh, have we ever have we ever been outside or were we born here? And so, you know, you can obviously sort of see a lot of the the same thematic DNA there as as you would see in Severance. Um, but that was something that was written again. I wrote that when I was, I want to say 20. And I was like on the cusp of being about to go out into the workforce and, uh, you know, about to leave college where you're sort of, you know, a little bit coddled and catered to and and go out into this scary thing I had heard of called the workforce where, you know, you you threaten to lose yourself and lose a bit of your identity and individuality. Um, and so I was scared of that. And and now looking back, I think rightfully so uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, but that was a play that was, you know, it, 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 it was not coming from a place of of really having having worked in corporate America or anything like that. And then severance is an idea that came to me, you know, a, a good 10 years later, you know, having spent a lot of time at different jobs, some of which were office jobs, some of which were giant corporations and, and uh, having actually had some of those experiences and and seen some of the, the really weird practices that are employed, you know, in places like that. And, um, you know, uh, had this idea about what if, you know, what if there was a way to basically segment your, your consciousness where you're, you know, you're not experiencing work at all from your outside perspective. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't think of it as like a, 
I didn't think of it as a an update of the play at first. It wasn't until I had been thinking of this idea for a while where I was like, oh, hey, I wrote that whole play back in college that actually has a lot of things in common with this and maybe can be informative in some ways. So, you know, there's there's definitely, you, you know, uh, somewhere in a dusty old file cabinet somewhere, there's a video of that play. Uh, I'm sure that that if you were to watch it, you would see similar themes, but it's it's also its own different animal. So that leads me nicely into thinking about like, so at my company, Kinetic, um, we think regardless of the media format where we're looking at theater, film, TV, video games, whatever, that there's always universal themes, love, grief, ambition, wanting to be safe, secure, and uh, that draws in the audience. But it's the creator yourself, the specific POV that allows that theme to soar, that allows it to, to really speak to a certain format. So you talked about being in your 20s and that idea of getting the job, but what else would you think about as like the, the core themes that are that would speak to the audience and from what from it, while you were writing it to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I I, I hate to admit this, but but you know, sadness plays a big role. Um, there's there's a I think it is a very sort of melancholy um, story at its core. This idea of people not wanting to experience their whole reality because it's either uncomfortable or it's too painful. Um, and so I I do think that specifically the element of severance and wanting to disassociate from parts of yourself that that's not something that would have occurred to me i think to write when i was a younger person you, you, you know it was something that i had to sort of go through life a little bit more and you know have some have some heartbreak and have some some times where i really felt desperate or or really felt like i was going nowhere in the greater context of my life um you, you know i i think i had to had to have some of those feelings and experiences before, you know, this, before this somewhat troubling idea would have ever occurred to me. So you, you do, I mean, you bring your own baggage into it. And, and, you know, even stuff like, I always say when I first wrote the pilot, when I first came up with it, it was, I mean, I was working a job I I hated, but I was also coming off of a, of a pretty, a, a pretty, uh, you know, a, a breakup of a pretty long-term relationship where I, I also found on the other side of it that the office was was sort of a um, a sanctuary in a way. Like sometimes I would go into the office and I'd be like, okay, today I'm cataloging different door parts. I don't have to think about anything related to my own life. I, I don't have to think of, you know, and, and any feelings or any sense of of what I want with my life. I'm an employee and there's comfort in that. And so it was, you know, it's just stuff like that where it's like you, you, you have an experience that's often very hard or or very trying in the moment, but then it it leads you to think about things in a different way that you wouldn't have done before. So it's just uh, you bring your own baggage to everything. But that was a beautiful way that you described the office because for for a bit working at that company, you found solace, something mm -hmm. that allowed your brain as severances about kind of splitting the two experiences allowed your brain to kind of focus on something else and to find almost an emotional safe haven. Mm -hmm. There's something super comforting about being an automaton. I mean, there there definitely is. It's easy, you know, it's easier than having to 
always be flexing the executive function in your brain and trying to make these big decisions and trying to decide what the right path is. You know, if if you're giving marching orders and you're just told to do something and have to do it, there there's a there's a comfort in that, and and it's uh, you know, it's it's kind of a a scary comfort <laughs> because you don't you don't want to give up your, you know, yourself and your your sense of your of of choice or anything like that. But at at times, I I, I think it can be seductive. And so here you are at this job. You've written the play. You're at this job. And you start thinking about it more. So in terms of your process, did you first think immediately, I can make this into a TV show? Did you, were you just first focusing on what your world and your characters were? What was your process? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think there was a minute, there was like a couple of days where I was thinking maybe it's a movie um, or maybe it's like a mini series or something like that. Um, you know, it's it's sort of a, it's sort of a, you know, the the concept is fairly self-contained, and so I think it it could have been an interesting movie, um, but it was, it was as I started to build out the world and think it's like okay, we're in a world where basically the only major technological difference is that this thing severance exists. How would that affect, you know, X? And 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 you you start to think about well, you know, we've seen it from the perspective of work and how it would affect people's, you know, work-life balance. But, you know, the same technology could be used in any, you know, how would that affect the way people think about, you know, uh, uh, the the military or religion or relationships? I mean, is there, you know, you, you've obviously seen stuff like um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, where they look at, you know, this idea of like forgetting another person who's too painful for you. And, you uh, you know, so so I just the the more I thought about the different applications of this kind of technology, I just thought this this has to be a TV show because it's too big of a world. You know, in in a movie, we would only be able to explore one small corner, and and it just feels like this is something that can expand however much you want it to, because it's such a this idea of of wanting to disassociate is is so universal to different parts of our lives. And you can just plug severance into any any aspect of that and have like a totally separate, interesting story to tell. So you're 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 speaking to the core of the way I look at um, most stories. So I'm loving this conversation. Um, so you. here you are, you're faced with. All right, I've got this super cool idea that it's working for me. I think other people will understand it because it's work and it's life and it's work-life balance. We're trying to, we're all trying to figure it out. Regardless of your age, you're all trying to figure it out. So at what point did you bring in an outside person? And if you can talk about like, you know, was that a manager, an agent? Like, how did you first start to then see this idea um, with other people? I, uh, my, my manager was the first person that, that I showed it to is a guy named Ben Blake, who, who is still my manager and good friend. And, uh, and he, he was the first person I think to read it. And so he, yeah, he and I sort of knocked around ideas for a while. Um, I had, I had a couple of friends from grad school who I like, you know, guilted into reading it, um, which was fun. Uh, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, Ben was the first one and, and 
we we were taking it around. We were sort of showing it to different people, trying to you know ideally get it made, but also potentially use it as a a way to get staffed on a show because I'd never been staffed at that point. Um, but so you know we 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 played a lot early on just with levels and tone in that in that first period where you know we didn't know yet like is this a dark brooding drama or is this a totally silly comedy you know I I, I always thought of it a little bit more in the, the like Terry Gilliam universe sort of feeling a little more like Brazil uh when I was first writing it I think it, it had a lot of big you know weird like on its face magical realism moments that you know would aren't they would feel very very out of place in in the slightly more grounded uh thing that it ended up being but yeah in those early days it was just really fun because we didn't know it was like okay we have this concept but what is the tone that best suits this concept but it was always there was always a sense i i think from the beginning we always knew that there was going to be this undercurrent of sadness to it just again because of how sort of troubling the the concept is that that even if it was, you know, even if there was big bombastic stuff happening, it was going to have this kind of broken little heart at its core. So at what point um, when you were just by yourself putting this together, did you think now's the time for me to bring it to my manager? Now's, I think this is the right time to start talking about it. Well, I mean, he he was calling me saying, you have to show me something. <laughs> so, you know, that was a big part of it. But no, I mean, I think I showed him the first draft. I think I showed him the first finished draft because um, I was excited to because I, I, I was like, I, I think that there's something here. And so, the, yeah, there wasn't a great deal of uh, protectiveness of it, at least from him initially. It was like, OK, let's 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 start trying things. Let's see, see what flies and what doesn't. When you first showed it to him, um, can you recall like some of his first feedback that made you have to like kind of like pull back and think a little bit more about your story specifically to television as opposed to when you first were doing it as a player when you thought about it as a film yeah i think i mean i think i was doing a very like young writery thing where i was taking these just giant swings um and i think that he i remember one note that i got early on was that like it feels a little bit like a little kid telling a story where it's like and then this crazy thing happens and this this even crazier thing happens and then and then the these pair of disembodied legs runs through and kicks him and then runs away and it was a little bit like and then this and then this and then this uh and so i i think that th there was a an element of discipline where he was like, you know, you you really have to sort of hone in on the themes, like what what's something that you want it to be about, and and don't try to do everything in the pilot, you know, uh, tease a world and tease some themes, and uh, but but you know, it's it's a TV show, so so trust that you're going to be able to build to some of the bigger ideas that you want to explore. And so in this process, you were also not only writing your first pilot but you were also learning how to pitch is that correct yeah i was really bad at it at first how okay how would you describe being bad like was it was it the and this and this and this thing or was it no eye contact what was it i i, I think it was definitely no eye contact it took me a while to learn that you're <laughs> that you're supposed to look at the person um which now is even harder on zoom because i'm like looking yeah. at this little camera you're like here. i see i see I'm like, if I'm looking at you, it's going to look like I'm not because of where the camera is. 
Um, but I do but, it wrong yeah. all the time anyway. <laughs> I just, yeah, I've accepted. I'll always do it wrong. Um, but no, like I, I, the, the first, I mean, it's incredibly nerve wracking, like for anybody, I think it's incredibly nerve wracking to come in and be, and be like, I, I, I want you to spend what, what will inevitably be a large amount of money on this story, you know, of which I have one small chapter written and I need you to just trust me that I have more and that it's going to be really good. Um, and I also, I think I'm someone like if I've, if I found I've been, if I find I've been talking for too long, I start to get in my head and I start, I'm like, Oh, my voice sounds weird, you know? And, and uh, you know, I need to, I start talking faster and stuff. And, and I think that, you know, it's probably something that everybody deals with when they first start pitching uh, to some extent, but, but I just, I think that I came across as very, like I had to get all the information out again. Like I, I, the way I phrase it is like, I have to show my work. Like I have to prove to them that I have every, you know, every single thing I have figured out, I have to get out as quickly as possible. And as opposed to, I think, you know, the more, the more confident version of that that people are drawn to is like, you know, you, you lay out something and then you let them sort of come and ask questions and poke around at it. And you just happen to have all the answers, you know? Um, so I, I think I came, I, I guess you could say I came across thirsty at first. Um, and now, <laughs> now I'm not so thirsty. I hope. Uh, all right, I want to pull on that, not the thirst th thread, uh, but I want to pull on another thread. So you're now ready, you're going out and you're pitching it. So I want to talk pre-bloodless and post-bloodless. So yeah. um, bloodless, for people who don't know, is like the blacklist, but it's more for genre. And it's, uh, I love the, I love the bloodless. So I remember yeah, when you terrific. were on it in 2016, I think it was, was when um, that was the first year they did television. Yeah. Yeah. It was the first pilot. Yeah. So, so pre bloodless, how did it feel like, so you've got executives that you're talking to who are not in your brain and only have, you know, how your, your manager set up the meeting. And so in those rooms, were there any questions that really poked into the world that you felt like you hadn't thought about? Oh yeah. I mean, the, the majority of, of the building of the world sort of came uh, initially anyway, in those meetings, I mean, the, the, the big question, of course, is like, what is the company doing? What, what is their actual plan? And I had a whole, as I was pitching it initially, I had a whole answer for that. That's completely different from, you know, what it's become now. Um, and it was, I don't, I, I don't want to say what it was because then that, mm -hmm. that narrows down what it's, yep. <laughs> you, you know, what it actually is. No spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers. Um, yeah. I realized I can't even give negative spoilers. I can't, I can't say something that it's not because nope. that's, that's uh, narrows it down. But yeah, I mean, I, I had this whole pitch for what the company was actually going to do that I thought was really interesting. And I, I will say that here, here's the closest I'll get to a spoiler is a major motion picture came out with a fairly similar big villain plan. And I was like, okay, I can't do that anymore. Um, so I'll, you know, I'll leave it to people to speculate what that was. <laughs> and they will. <laughs> and they will. So 
the so you go out on these pitches and how did it go because then you go into bloodless so how was that initial period when you're going out pitching well it really the bloodless changed it changed the game quite a bit um and that was something that you know i'm i feel to this day so indebted to to that that whole crew because uh it, it really did um you know that there had already been a number of really cool projects that had gotten off the ground through that through 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 the bloodless so i think people were taking it really you know it was held in high regard and so that you know i i basically went from you know i had i had already been taking taking some really cool meetings and talking to some really great people about it which actually is how is part of how you get on the blood list is that you, you you know you're sort of recommended by other people who have been passing the script around and it's like oh this is a really cool idea but nobody's done it yet um and so i had been i you know i had i had been at a certain level talking uh, taking really exciting meetings about it but um it it definitely changed it where it was like all of a sudden you know, I, I remember in the course of a week, it was like several people that I, you know, that I, who I knew, who who I really admired, uh, were reaching out and, and were like, hey, we'd like to, we'd like to talk about this. And uh, one of those people was, was Ben Stiller. And that was a, that was a moment where I truly did think my manager was playing a prank on me. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, that all, all, it, it definitely catapulted it into a whole different realm once, once the blood list came out. It was really cool. And were you always considering that you wanted to be the creator showrunner on it? Did you first go out with it that way or did that evolve? It evolved. And and part of it was me kind of learning what that even means. And to an extent, I feel like it's still kind of a, a, a muddy term where it's like, you know, like I'm definitely the creator and and you know, in, in a way I'm the showrunner, although there, there are a number of people that sort of work together and collaborate, uh, on, on what might, in a, on another show be, be just a sole role, uh, for one person. So it's, you know, I think every show works a little bit differently and, you know, I work really closely with Ben and with, you know, various other producers. Um, I, I was never, <laughs> I was never looking to be like, the guy in charge of everything because uh frankly that terrifies me you know i i i'm not uh i'm not somebody who who revels in the idea of managing you know 12 different departments and having to bring a lot of complex pieces together and having to be organized and be on top of that like i sort of became a writer to avoid having to do things like that and so the idea of like being a, a a showrunner in the traditional sense of the word was not something that like I, I was like, hey, if there's somebody more experienced or smarter than me who can do this and and can keep the trains running and all that stuff, like I'll happily sort of back away from that role. But it's it's hard to it's hard to, uh, you, you know, one thing I've found is that that is just part of the creative process is collaborating and working with all those different brilliant people. And so as I've done this over the last couple of years, like it is something I've I've moved into a little bit where I do, you know, I I liaise more with with department heads and and it's the the organizational administrative elements sort of become inextricable from the creative where you sort of have to have those conversations together. So it's been it's been 
really a, an education and, and a challenge at times, but something that I've really enjoyed um, getting getting more experience in. If you're enjoying the show, just want to find out more about Future of Film, head on over to the home of Future of Film. That's futureoffilm.live. Here you can dive into all five seasons of the podcast and explore some of the other FOF resources like the Summit and Incubator. And if you're not already, why not sign up for our monthly newsletter? We've recently revamped it to include not just the latest from FOF, but new opportunities in the space and our pick of the latest articles on the future of screen storytelling. So that's all of the Future of Film resources and news available now at futureoffilm.live. I mean, what's great about hearing you say this, I think most people don't, outside the industry, don't realize, well, actually also in the industry, don't realize how wide the job of showrunner is. And you are marshalling troop. You are running a company in essence while also writing. (laughs) So there's a lot going on there. Um, So, so you meet up with Ben Stiller. He wants to do this. So at that point, is that when you both start, does it stay this creative pod of you and Ben Stiller first bringing out the show? Or is that when you start to bring in other writers, people who have, who had more experience than you did for show running. And so what was that, that middle part there before you go to Apple? Yeah, we, uh, it, it was, and yeah, initially Ben and I, and then we brought in a, um, there, there was a, a producer by the name of Chris Black, who's this really, really brilliant guy Great. Um, who came in and, uh, and he and I worked a lot on initial sort of the initial breaking of season one. Um, and I believe he, he came in and sort of pitched to Apple with us if I'm getting the timeline, right? So he was there, he was there before we were at Apple, but then once, once Apple was on board, then they put together a, a mini room, uh, of writers and, and that ended up, I think it was like six people myself and Chris and and a few others. And so we we basically broke like an overall season plan for season 1. Um and then we ended up basically bringing back all those people for the full room, which was a 20 week thing where we basically like broke out each episode. So that was uh a, a lot of what we did there ended up being, you know, what was in the show. Um, and, and, uh, you, you know, m- most of it ended up sticking, but there was also then a period after that where, uh, it, it sort of came back to being more Ben and I, like we had the room and we generated a bunch of the stuff, but then one, um, once we had that, that then there was a, there was a, a number of months where Ben and I were just sort of looking at it together and, you know, various other producers as well. And deciding like, okay, this is this works, this doesn't work. We want to pull this out or tighten this thing. And I, I think that with this show, that there, there's always going to be that. Like, it's great to have a big group of people, but a lot of it does come down to Ben and I, and and sort of just us going back and forth, and you know whatever small group we have surrounding us, uh, just kicking ideas around because that's that's sort of the core of it. So. You really spoken 
quite eloquently about just the, the process of all these other voices starting to come in on what was, you know, your idea from, from the beginning. So how did you, how were you able to manage not only having to build what the season's going to look like through the episodes, but also keeping in mind the world building and the twists that you have that come up and all of that. How did you, how did you manage your creative process and then manage to also not lose your voice in there as well? It's hard. I mean, it's really hard. Uh, it, it did help to, you know, it helped to have a really good group of people who who I think from the get go were, were pretty on board with the tone of the show and and understood it very well. Um, but it also helped to be able, you know, that that I was I was fortunate, you know, people like like Chris Black and and Ben and others like that a lot of they put a lot of confidence in me to just be able to sort of decide what I wanted it to be. And so there was a lot of, you know, I was allowed to do a dialogue pass on each episode, you know, after the writer had it. And uh, so, you know, there, there was just, there was a lot of very creatively generous people who I think saw that, that there was a unique tone here and, and had no interest in diluting it down who, who wanted to do anything they could to just help me, um, you know, amplify it. So, you know, I give credit to those, to all, all those people. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is hard. Like it's, and, and it's vulnerable to, to give your story out to someone else. Like I remember like one of the first drafts I got from a writer, you know, it, it, it was fantastic, but I, I read a, this one scene of where Rickon said something and I was like, no, Rickon wouldn't say that. Like, that's not, you know, he's a doofus, but he's not a doofus in that way. And, and I got, I found myself getting like, you know, very touchy about it where I was like, that's what you think of Rickon. No. Um, and, but that I think is just a byproduct of like when, when you've at that point, you know, I had been basically living alone with these characters for, you know, well over a year, like, like several years. And so to suddenly have other people playing in the sandbox it's vulnerable and, and it's, you know, you, you have to sort of learn how to respect what other people bring to the table, but also being able to say like, no, I don't, I don't think he would quite say that or do it that way. And here's why, and be able to articulate that in a way that's constructive. And the why comes from the world building that you were doing again, first solo, then with your manager, then with Ben, and then with a whole group of people, you know, coming, you know, from like your DP, Jessica Lee Gash, Gagne? Uh, Gagne, Gagne. Gagne, New Jersey accent, sorry. Gagne, right. um, to your production designer, Jeremy Hindle. Like it's a beautiful world that's been created for us to um, enjoy as we watch the show. And so while you've been doing that, like what I found is that there's this beautiful tension and balance of like, I would say like for myself, like from the office meets office fates, with some of the longing of Lady Hawk, um, if all were like, if all spawned from like the mind of David Cronenberg after he read Kafka. Like that's really <laughs> how I think about the show and the story in the world. <laughs> but I mean, that takes this imagination to, to world build. And so did you ever feel like some some writers will feel like they've been they are they're constricted and limited because of the world that has to be built. They have to play into these rules. Where and like I'm on record, kind of feeling like 
that's not the case. Um, so I'm wondering where you, how you felt about how you could proceed and that you have to deliver these episodes. I have to tell part of the story and then each episode, and by the way, kudos, I'd love the cliffhanger at the end of each episode, which then just, cause it drew you in both from a plot side and from an emotional side. So everything I'm listing are all these balls that you have to juggle while being able to complete the season. Mm -hmm. So, so I guess really what my question is in all of that is how, how did you maintain all that balance? Was it uh, note cards? Did you use Miro? Was it Canva? Like what was your, what was the data quote unquote database process in there so that everybody's on the same page? Yeah. I, uh, I mean, you, you articulated the challenge of it extremely well. Um, it's, it, it was, it was no cards at first. I mean, we, we had our first room was all in person. It was pre pandemic. And so, you know, we had, uh, <clears throat> we had like 10 different whiteboards, you know, uh, nine of which had beats for each episode and sort of what, what happens scene by scene in each episode. And then there was a big one with a grid that was like episode, you know, one through nine on the on the top axis and then each character name on the side and you you're just keeping track of the whole season and sort of what what each character like like what the step is in their journey in each episode um and again that's that's the kind of thing that just like even now like trying to start something like that or like, it's like every time i open up a grid document i get this little like pang of anxiety because it is like like my that's not I think that's not the way I'm naturally geared to work. Like I prefer to just sort of, you know, start writing and just be able to do whatever I want and, and have the characters say funny things. And the organizational element of it is probably the hardest element. Um, and, and just cause there's so much to think about. It's like, you know, you, you have to make sure that the stories are, are all working overall for each character. And, and also that each episode you know, doesn't feel too stuffed or or doesn't feel too sparse. And uh, and then, you know, you you have this big kind of scarier question, which is, is it is it in the tone of the show? Like, is that, you know, I, I think that we had a, you know, we had a whole uh, a, a sequence that we wrote that was sort of much more, a, a little bit more action-y than, than, what what you ultimately would see on the show when we were working on season one and i remember like having this whole conversation about like eh, that that maybe expands the tone a little bit more in the towards like a sort of a network action thing than than what we want uh and then you know other times it got too comedic comedic like we you know you would have you know rickon or or miss casey or somebody say something that we're like well that's not like that, that's that, that breaks the world just a little too much, you know, where, where, where that feels a little bit too heightened. Uh, and, and so it's really hard to invent a tone as you go. And it felt like that's what we were trying to do. And in, in many ways, I feel like it's even harder in season two, because now it's like, we have a, we, we have a tone set up we don't even fully understand why it works. It's like, I think when you build something, it's like, you don't, you don't even fully get, it's like, well, something about this worked, but, but what exactly was the magic sauce and, and how can we replicate it? And, and 
you know, and, and so there's there continue to be a lot of discussions between Ben and myself and everybody else where it's just like, okay, is that it's like we like that, that's good, but is it severance or does that feel like something else? And where do we expand the tone of the show and and sort of deepen it? And where do we, you know, where do we not do that? So it's hard. It's a hard job, it turns out. <laughs> yeah. And but also because you've got a you've got a workplace show and you've got a family drama with comedic elements. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this mystery tension that's running between the two. Yeah. So you're trying to juggle a lot of things, as as you've said. Um, what I found so interesting with the with the innies. Um, if I'm saying this right, with the innies in the office, they still fall into interesting work stereotypes or work mm-hmm. archetypes. I mean, I say stereotypes, archetypes. Uh, Dylan's the know-it-all. Then you've got the company man. You've got the one who's striving to be a manager. And then you've got the rebel rouser in Heli. Yeah. yeah. Um, so do you find um, with that and in terms of your writing process, how to to keep it still true to what the overall world build is, which is this biggest, this big mystery. Yeah. Well, that, that, and, and that specific thing and the way that we use archetypes on the show is, is a big conversation that we had. That was um, because it, it it is. And, and I, and I would even say, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it's unfair to use the term stereotypes in a way because, because we, we do, the characters are at least initially presented as that in a way where, where, you know, we, we do have Dylan who's sort of single-mindedly trying to be the achiever and, and caring about the, you know, he finds value in, in the, the prizes that he gets for the work he does. And then, and then Irving, who's a little bit more the zealot, you know, he, he, he buys into the, the philosophy and the quasi-religious element of, of the corporate culture. Um, but but that was intentional because I think work does reduce us in a way like like we are often I think when when we find ourselves in a job, we're often sort of identified for one thing, even just in the social groups. Like I remember being, you know, that I, I would have certain jobs where, you know, it's like, well, that's that guy's the funny guy, you know, and, and that's the guy that makes it makes a joke every time he comes in and and. We don't necessarily want to hear about his sad days because he's the funny guy, you know, and 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 I think that that's like you do sort of reduce people to one or two qualities sometimes uh, in an in an office culture. And so I want I wanted to start them out in that way, like start them out feeling like each sort of serves a very specific role because they're only they don't have access to their whole messy tapestry of humanity. You know, they sort of know, know themselves in one in one role. And then over the course of it, you see that start to break down and you start, you see that the, these are much more dimensional people than they were allowed to be at the start of the season. I'm I'm so excited for season two. I just, everything you say, <laughs> just insanely oh, excited. So, good, good. all right. So success aside, when you're thinking about your development period and the notes and then, you know, Twitter, everything else blowing up, you know, every time an episode was on, um, if you, Dan, were severed. And it was your innie's job to come up with the TV idea with the prompt of like what your core idea was, like what it would be. Do you think your innie would start first with world building? Now that you've gone through this, now that you've gone through this whole process and here you are starting season two, 
would your any start with the script or start with the world build? Oh man. <laughs> well, I I mean, I think that my any might be drawn towards a slightly less complex idea. Um <laughs> it, 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 where, where he started from scratch. Um I do think that it's uh you know the 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 challenge of the show is also what makes it cool, which is which is that you are keeping all these sort of dual narratives separate and spinning in their own way, but also, you know, spinning in tandem with each other. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, if I had it to do over again, it, it, there, you, you know, it, it, it uh, not if I have it had it to do over again, I think I would do the same thing, but in terms of like, if I were creating something new now, um, you know, I, I, I think that it might, uh, I would want to be sure that I was starting with a, a character story and, and w which I think we did with this, but, um, you know, first and foremost, uh, creating a character that's interesting and that's in an interesting emotional place and letting that inform, you know, what happens to them. I think that that's always going to be more rewarding than if you start with plot and then work backwards, you know, start with like, I have this really cool thing I want to happen. And then you reverse engineer a character in order for that thing to happen. You know, I I, I think all stories are are essentially just human. You know, they're 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 and they have to be relatable and they have to feel like they make emotional sense. So I think that's where my any would start. And the idea of like of stories being relatable and human. Um, I want to dig a little bit in, into your your background. So. Where, where, where do you hail from? Uh, I hail from Olympia, Washington. I, I grew up there. My, my, you know, my spent my whole childhood there and, uh, was mostly in like Washington state. Uh, you know, I, I went back and forth. I went to college in LA initially, but ended up back in Washington at a place called Western Washington university. And, uh, so yeah, most, most of my early days were, were as a Northwest boy. And then you went to NYU grad school. Am I right on that? I, I went to NYU for grad school. Yeah, through there, the the Tisch program there, which was really fun. So, what made you decide to go to grad school? I had been out of college for a couple of years. I I had been down in LA, and I felt like had sort of hit a hit a wall um, in terms of trying to get staffed, trying to get my stuff seen. I was down there during the during the writer's strike, this, oh, that would have been what, 2007, I think, 2008, yeah. I forget. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was down there and I I, I, rem I was sort of, you know, maybe somewhat shamelessly trying to <laughs> segue that into meeting people. Like I would go to the strike lines and I would, I, I didn't tell them, I, I, I mean, I didn't present myself as a guild writer. I told them that I was not. But I was like, is there, can I hold a sign over on this corner and can I help? And, you know, through that was what, you know, met a lot of, of writers and was sort of trying to, trying to network on my own, you know, through that and then, and then other means. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it may be that that would have eventually yielded some success, but I did find it's like, it's, it's really tough. And I, I always say this to writers, it's like, you, you know, the, the, the first and hardest step and the hardest step to give advice on is making those contacts like, uh, and, and something like, 
you know, being part of the NYU system, you know, th there is a there's a manufactured networking, uh, a manufactured network as part of that. And, and you know, you 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 have events that you can go to where people are, you know, representatives are actively looking for writers and they, they like having a writer that's just graduated NYU. So, you know, that's that was the main thing is like, uh, you know, how do I how do I hone my craft? Certainly. But also, you know, I think the reality of it is that a big part of it is like, how do you how do you get yourself into the system in such a way that people are going to want to read your stuff? Is that how you met your manager, Ben? Yeah, uh, I, I met Ben through uh, another another writer who who was in my program, who's in NYU, who uh, through a reading that that they had done, she got hooked up with Ben and then she sent him my stuff. And it was um, at that point, was it primarily plays or was it plays and some starts of screenplays? No, I had been uh, I, I was in the TV program at at Tish. So I had a, a number of pilots that I had already written and then a couple of feature scripts, too. Um, so, yeah, I, I had mostly been doing film and theater, you, you know, initially, you know, when I was like in my early 20s, I was doing sorry, I was doing theater, but then it was mostly uh, film and TV once I got into NYU. So it sounds like you just always have been creating, 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 writing, writing with gigs on the side. Yeah. I mean, I was definitely one of those, like, you know, I remember like, like second grade, I remember the first creative writing, you know, project that they ever did where it was like, you know, you have to write and illustrate a story. And I just, I remember doing it. It was like, I wrote a story about a kid who, who meets a sea serpent and they become friends. And it was just like, that was the, I, I pretty much knew then I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do because this is like, so much more fun for me than any other thing that we do in school. Um, and I just, you know, so I was definitely the guy who is like any project all through high school and stuff, any project that where they would, do, I would be like, well, what if instead of a report, I made a movie, you know, or I did a video and, and, you know, so it was always, it, it I, I think it was always what I wanted to do. Well, I'll say as um, someone who also got into the industry without having family in the industry and figuring out and working, this has been an amazing time uh, listening to you talk about your process and how you were able to bring severance to life. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. This is this. It's so fun to talk to you. And I mean, yeah, I, I it, it's hard when when you are sort of an outsider trying to break into it. Uh, uh, it's, it's a very challenging thing as a lot of people know, but it's been very rewarding too.